You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh, Jesus, lover of our souls, we have no other refuge but you. And even now, Lord, in this moment, draw our hearts and our minds to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. I stumbled upon a a PBS documentary on Ted Williams this week. I'm a sucker for baseball documentaries, and Ted Williams of Red Sox lore is arguably the best hitter of all time. Williams was a deeply troubled man and suffered, like so many geniuses at their craft, from a difficult childhood. His mother was a Salvation Army minister and gave all of her time to the ministry and little to no time to her son. Imagine this, she never saw Ted Williams play professional baseball once, and his father was a a 'er ne'er-do-well drunk. So Williams became obsessed with baseball. He had something to prove, and he wanted people to see him on the street and to say, there's the best hitter of all time. And given his relationship with his mother, and not surprisingly, he also became an atheist. So Williams was a complicated man who struggled to maintain relationships. But toward the ends of his life, he became close with his daughter and with his son. And they talked him into being cryogenically frozen upon his death. This is crazy. Uh, I guess the hope is that if the body is preserved, then perhaps in time technology will catch up and maybe Ted Williams can be brought back to life again. I think that's all really interesting and weird. Um, But I found uh, the daughter's explanation on the documentary of their family's decision so telling and so sad. She said, we didn't have any faith to fall back on as a family when dad was dying. He didn't either. We were all atheists, so we needed something to hope in, and even Dad, the greatest hitter of all time, needed to hope in something at the end. It's for reasons of hope that I love the seasons of the church calendar. I didn't grow up this way. There's something now about their rhythm and their, their promise of a new start that brings me comfort and hope. Here we are on Epiphany Sunday, and like the wise man who we sang about this morning, and I could see some of you bobbing along as we sang it, we can pray with renewed fervor year after year, guide us to thy holy light. That's our hope. And here we are today, gathered together, celebrating Epiphany, Jesus' unveiling, his bringing light into the darkness of our world. As one church father said in an Epiphany sermon, Christ is illumined. Let us flash like lightning with him. And today we celebrate our Lord and his baptism and his identification with sinners and the light that he brings into our world. And we pray again in these moments like today, let us flash like lightning with him so that all the world can see. So Christmas and Epiphany, they fill us with the hope of new things. They promise something more. Our hopes and our dreams go far beyond the ends of our own nose or the reflections that we see in the mirror. And for all the goods of this mortal life, and and I believe we have so many things to be grateful for, 
But I also believe we have reason to hope for new things. Oh, Jesus, flash like lightning before us. Let us enter into your light uh, once again. Isaiah the prophet, like few others within the whole dramatic sweep of the Bible, he speaks right into this epiphany hope. Our desire for a new order, our hope for the kingdom of God to shine in our midst, You know, like all the prophets, Isaiah is marked by a sense of the tragic. You know, something's gone terribly wrong. Where we would expect mountains, we find valleys. Where the path should be smooth and straight, it's become crooked and rough. And Isaiah does not mince words or or hold readers in suspense about where the tragedy of his prophecy lies. Listen to these very first words from the prophet in Isaiah chapter 1. This is what he says. I reared children and I brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. They're children that are given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. Someone in our congregation several years back once stared into my future and he said, just so you know, you're only going to be as happy as your least happy child. I kind of swallowed hard when I heard that. And here Isaiah reveals God's own deep grief and anger over his children's rebellion. You see, even an ox knows its master. Even a donkey knows where to go to get its food, but my people have forgotten who I am. They die for lack of knowledge. They, they disregard me and they've forsaken me. And look at my children there playing in the mud of their idolatry when they have the infinite beauty of my love on offer. We're so prone to self-destruction as the human race and the people of Israel exhibit this feature of human existence in spades. Yet here's the epiphany moment of Isaiah's promise. Here's where Isaiah's words that were written so long ago reach their way into our congregation this morning and they speak a dazzling truth. The kind of truth that radiates light into the darkness of our hearts. God does not leave his people to their own ignorance. He doesn't leave us in our darkness. He could. Some might even say that he should. But he doesn't. And he can't. Because he's smitten by his people. Like the lover in the Song of Solomon who can't get enough, that's our God. Chasing us down the street, running off the porch for us, singing songs of delight over us like Zechariah the prophet said so long ago. Yes, God is righteous and justice in his, ho- in his holiness. He's terrifying in his glory and his splendor. But he's also warm and loving and delighting, and pursuing, and refusing to allow the rejection of our own ignorance to define our relationship with Him. He comes, He pursues, He can't let us go. O love that will not let me go, the old hymn said, I rest my weary soul in Thee. And the people of Israel and Isaiah were weary. You know, even after God had announced the triumph of his mercy and the end of judgment in Isaiah chapter 40. Remember the great words, comfort, comfort ye my people, says your God. Even after the announcement of this forgiveness, the people are still beleaguered. They're still suffering under the trauma of their circumstances. 
Listen to the cry of desperation that they, they ring out in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. This is what the people say. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause or my right or my justice has been disregarded by my God. The desires for justice, for the restoration of God's order in this world, things aren't right. The world and our lives are not like they're supposed to be. And I think that cry of desperation that we hear from ancient Judah is a cry that we feel in our own moment. We too know the forgiveness and the consolation of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We confess his saving grace, but we also know that God's kingdom order in this world awaits a future consummation. Sin still walks openly in the streets of our world and in the streets of our lives. And we need Jesus to flash like lightning before us. We need the heat of his beauty to melt away once and for all, all the sin of the world. Even Isaiah speaks about a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation, because the new creation has as its principal joy beholding the very face of God forever. I mean, just think of that. We have eternity before us, and we will never grow tired of beholding the beauty of God's face in Jesus Christ. But not yet. It's not here yet. Where is justice? Where is the kingdom established by God's order? How is all of this going to take place? And once again, Isaiah the prophet lays down for us the divine plan. He reveals the blueprint of God's actions in time and all of our hope for the future. The cry of despair from God's people back in Isaiah chapter 40 for justice is answered in Isaiah 42, the reading that we heard read so well this morning. How will God make all things new in our world? How will justice, true justice that can only stem from God's kingdom, make its way into the world? And here Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, says the Lord, this is the one in whom I delight. These are familiar words on this Epiphany Sunday where we remember today the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today's the day where we enter into the overwhelming joy to see God stepping into time in Jesus of Nazareth. This is it. This is the moment that we've all been waiting for. All creation and all humanity have awaited this day. And we follow Jesus to the Jordan and we watch him descend into the waters of baptism to identify himself with you and with me, with sinful humanity. And dripping wet from the waters of his own baptism, the sky breaks open and we hear God the Father use these words from Isaiah 42. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Those words of affirmation from God the Father at Jesus' baptism, they, they, they function as a kind of propulsion back to Isaiah. They send us back to the old prophet. They force us to go to the ancient words so that we can make sense of what we're seeing and what we're experiencing with Jesus of Nazareth. And what do we find in Isaiah 42? We find a portrayal of what Jesus would be in time and who he is even now for you and for me. He will not shout or raise his voice. He doesn't come with bravado and beating his chest. He comes in meekness and humility. 
with those who are weak and troubled. He deals with them gently. In two of my favorite phrases in all of the Bible, we hear that a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering or a flickering flame, he will not blow it out. Jesus, as with his Father, he remembers your frame. He knows that you're just dust. And he holds us in the power and the comfort of his own love and forgiveness. If you're a bruised reed this morning, he will not push you over. If your soul is a flame that's about to extinguish, he won't come along and blow you out. He comes to establish God's order in the world. He comes to bring God's kingdom in our midst. He comes to teach us and to lead us flickering flames that you and I are. Someone in our church pulled me aside last week in Clingman Commons and was telling me, or actually they planted a seed that I've been thinking about all week, and the man told me about a study that he's attending on the Sermon on the Mount and how how profound the simple beginning of that sermon had been for him. I mean, this is how the sermon begins. And Jesus sat down, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. And the man looked at me right in the eyes, and he said, just think of that. God in human flesh, sitting down, opening his mouth, and teaching them. It's pretty remarkable when you think about it, as as this man obviously had. And the promises of Isaiah 42, they rumble precisely at this point. The servant comes to establish God's kingdom and to teach us, to guide us, to provide us a path toward the heavenly city, to the place where the kingdom of God will dwell with humanity forever. And all along the way of this pilgrim journey, he moves towards us in mercy and in patience. He's not pushing your bruised reed down into the water. He's not snuffing out your flickering flame. As the old hymn says, he leads like a kindly light. I don't know if you feel this way, but I certainly do. It's easy, I think, to lose our way. We're like sheep. We tend to go astray. Sheep aren't very smart. I know you all know this, and I think we fancy ourselves as kind of smart as we sniff around from pasture to pasture looking for something to make us happy, for something external to ourselves to make us feel significant, or finding hope in in all the wrong places. And we can sound so sophisticated, I can too, in my hunt. Hmm, I wonder what's over in this pasture here. And in all of our sniffing around, we can lose our way, our sense of being, our real reason for existence, our, our pilgrim destination. We can lift our heads and wonder where we are, who we are, why we are. And it shouldn't surprise us, by the way, because the Bible tells us that we're all like sheep. I know that I am. And on this Epiphany Sunday... Here comes Jesus into our congregation once again, dazzling in light and beauty, beaming with kindness and grace. We hear the rattling of his keys as he moves once again to the dungeon of our darkness, of our lost way, of our hopelessness, to liberate us once again. What else can we pray on this Epiphany Sunday but that Jesus might shine on us once again? And that he might open our blind eyes so that we can really see. So that we can have hope 
in this new and dazzling thing that's springing right before us. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.